0: A little bit of an echo still. (laughs) All right, I think we're good. All right, we're in week two of our season of Epiphany sermon series. Uh, Again, the sermon series is called Listen. Uh, And the, the reason that it's called Listen is at the very end of this sermon series will be a Sunday called Transfiguration Sunday in which Jesus is up on a mountain and God speaks from the heavens and he says about Jesus, this is my son, listen to him. And so we're going to claim that, that last message of the series, and we're going to pull it back all the way to every week and listen to what God is saying through Jesus or to us, to the world, um, whatever it may be. Um, So as we dig in this week, I have a question for um, most likely those who have been Christians for a longer period of time. Uh, You might have had this experience even if you're a new Christian, but I think this is more of a, a seasoned Christian thing. Um, have you ever told God what you were not going to do? Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you just said, I, uh, I'm i not going to do that, God? Or maybe this is what I'm going to do. Maybe, have you ever tried to dictate terms to God? Um, I know for me, um, several years ago, when we were pastoring at the church in Indiana, we reached a point where we knew that our time there was winding down. Um, things were going pretty well, it wasn't like there was problems that were out of control or anything like that, but we just had the sense that God was pulling up some roots, and we were being prepared to to move elsewhere, right? Um, and so um, I told God, I said, sure, we'll, we'll evaluate this, we'll pray about this, but um, when the district superintendent of Michigan District called me and said they had seven or eight churches without pastors... Um, Worth considering. I said, "That's great. I just, I, am not really interested in going to a church that has a daycare or a food pantry." Um, the church in Indiana had a daycare that had been the financial stability for the church before I even got there, and when I got there, they were spending three to five thousand uh, dollars more a month than they were bringing in, um, and so much of my time there was dictated by that financial crisis. Um, they had a food pantry, which was uh, a great need in this little rural Indiana community, but it was really one older lady that did all the work, and she had somebody that would help her every once in a while. Um, and so it was, again, something that, that demanded a lot of my attention as, as pastor to help support and do all those things. So I, I, I told God said we'll look at these churches we'll figure out what's going on Um, I'll explore the call Um, I actually had uh, the uh, DS from two other districts contact me around the same time and it was really kind of a a confusing season um, because there's options right Um, but I basically told God um, I really would prefer not to go to one with a daycare or a food pantry I'd really like to be able to focus on the life of the church um, it's not that I don't love the, the, the mission of those ministries. In fact, I do. I honestly think that's a big part of what church should be doing, caring for its community. Um, but it, like I said, I just had this, this negative experience where it demanded a lot of my time and created a sense of, uh, it created expectations in other areas that I couldn't meet because I was spending so much time kind of dealing with finances and those types of things. Um, so for example, just just imagine um, <coughs> this idea that, that you're standing there and one person's going to toss you a tennis ball, right? So imagine the situation where you're standing, there's somebody else 10 feet from, away from you and they're just going to toss you a tennis ball. You can make a pretty good attempt at catching one tennis ball, right? Um, now let's say there's two people that are going to toss you a tennis ball. You can make a pretty good attempt at catching two, right? I mean, that's... Reasonable. It might be complicated. You might not be great at catching, but you can at least make an attempt at two or maybe even three. Um, now think of a 100 people standing in line all throwing you a tennis ball at once. Um, the posture changes, right? From I'm gonna catch this to like duck and cover, right? And that's that's kind of what um, some of my time at that, that church Felt like there was just a lot of things that were happening all at once, um, and maybe you've experienced seasons like that where you just wish somebody could come along and help you catch some of those tennis balls. And so, in the midst of of, of that, um, the the daycare director came to me and said, "Our playground won't pass code anymore. We have this massive, big playground at the Kingdom Kids Daycare, um, but it's it's become dangerous. There's certain elements." on this playground that are dangerous to children. So we had to rope it off and the kids could not uh, play on those areas. Uh, It was an amazing playground when it was installed, but things got so worn out that it had become dangerous and unsafe for the kids to play on. And like I said, it reached this point where we just couldn't let kids play near it. Um, And it happened where there was a time where several other things were already happening. And so it felt like these 100 tennis balls were all coming my way. And maybe you've been in situations where you've felt like that before. But along with these hundred tennis balls coming my way came a man named Terry. Uh, he was a member of the church, he was uh, on the church board. Um, he worked at a local company in, in town as an engineer designing industrial parts uh, that would be sold to companies that used the springs and coils and all these other parts for their, their machinery. Um, He was on the church board, his wife was the director of the daycare, and so Terry walks into my office, and I assumed that posture of ducking, because people were just delivering problems faster than they could be resolved. But he walks in, and he sets down this giant piece of paper on my desk, and on that piece of paper was a uh, CAD design. If you're familiar with engineering, you know it's a computer um, program that helps you design whatever you're trying to design, right? So he lays out this, this CAD printout of a playground. And on that list, that CAD design, he had a parts list with every conceivable need to build this new playground that he had designed. Every bolt and nut, he had a quantity, li- a parts list. I need 300 of these bolts. I need 50 of these nuts. I need- he had it all laid out. Costs on how much it would cost for all these parts. Suppliers that he had already contacted on where to get them and when they could be delivered, then he pulled out a list of volunteers of people in the church and in the community that he had already talked with that would be willing to help tear down the old playground and build the new one. There were problems and surprises and delays on this playground project, but Terry took a problem that I had no way of solving myself, and he fixed it from start to finish um, have you ever experienced a situation like that and had a Terry show up where, where, where you're faced with a situation where you don't have the answer you don't have the solution but somebody else shows up and is the hero of that story someone who took a bad situation that was beyond your ability to fix and provide a solution and honestly the resources needed to fix it that's the, the backdrop of our scripture for today. Um, the next few weeks, we're gonna be looking at scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter one, or well, we'll be looking at 1 Corinthians for next few weeks. This week's is chapter one, verses one through nine. Um, but again, just as we read through this, ask who's the hero of the story, and if you need help figuring that out, that's what the sermon's for today. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter one, verses one through nine says this, Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sothenes I don't know if that's right, probably not to the Church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, and called to be His holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gifts, as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ God is faithful, who has called you into the fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Um, pray with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, wondrous Holy Spirit, we pray that you gather our minds, that they may be one with you. Open our ears, that they may hear your word. Soften our hearts, that they may receive your wisdom. Speak to us, for we, your servants, are listening. Amen. So I said a moment ago that the next few weeks, it'll actually be five weeks in a row, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians. And so it's important for us to know what the kind of the backstory is, what's going on in uh, Corinthians here. So about four years before this letter was sent by the Apostle Paul, he had spent uh, about a year and a half in Corinth with this church. So he wasn't a stranger. He would lived with these people for about a year and a half, but that happened about four years before he wrote this letter. Um, this was a relatively young church, um, and yet uh, this church was filled with divisions and all kinds of problems, right? So 1 Corinthians was Apostle Paul's second letter to this church. We call it 1 Corinthians, which makes it sound like it should be the first one, but if you're reading through chapter five, you'll see that he makes reference to a time that he wrote before. And we don't have access to that letter, but he does say that I wrote you something and you all misunderstood what I said, so I'm gonna write it again because you're not getting it, right? So he's, he's addressing a letter to a church that is having all kinds of issues um, and it's been an ongoing conversation. Um, some of the issues that the Corinthian church had that Paul mentions in this letter um, sexual immorality, dividing over church leaders, members were suing one another, Uh, there was a misguided understanding of marriage and singleness, they were having disputes over food offered to idols, they were arguing over head coverings, Um, there was wealthy members abusing and monopolizing the Lord's Supper at the expense of the poor and the less privileged, Uh, misunderstanding the function of spiritual gifts in the community, prioritizing some gifts over other gifts, um, a denial of bodily resurrection of believers. This is just to name some of the things that are listed out in this, in this letter. But rather than turn a blind eye towards this, some of these divisions and all kinds of immorality, um, the Apostle Paul addressed the problems head on. So part of the reason why he wrote this letter was he had received a report. He had gotten a letter uh, that there were issues in this church, and so this this letter is his response to that report that he had gotten. And so our text from today is just the greetings and like the welcome uh, part of the letter, thanksgiving part of the letter, like just the very intro. Um, We're not getting into the body of it. He's not addressing theological teaching at this point. The the book is like 16 chapters long and we're just looking at the very first uh, nine verses. But despite the fact that it is just the the intro to this letter, it's it's extremely important. Um, So, knowing what I just told you about the church in Corinth, all types of immorality and fighting and conflict and all of that, I want to go back and reread the introduction again. Okay? Knowing what you know about this church and who Paul is writing to, I want, I want you to hear um, the scripture. I'm, it's not going to be on the screen, so I just want you to listen again to the words that the apostle uses uh, as he addresses this, this church. Okay, you ready? He says, uh, To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To this church that's got all types of issues and problems, he says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus. To this church filled with conflict and frustration and immorality, he says, in him, in Jesus, you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ amongst you. Again, to this church in Corinth that's having all types of uh, problems with sin and immorality, he says, you do not lack any spiritual gifts as you eagerly wait for our Lord Christ to be revealed. He will keep you firm to the end in your faithfulness so that you will be blameless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he wraps up by saying God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son. So what do you think of this response to this report that the Apostle Paul got about this church in Corinth? He gets this note that this church is a mess and he writes back and he says to the sanctified to the holy to everything that we just read he didn't say that they needed to get saved he didn't tell them they weren't Christians he didn't pick sides in any of the debates to start this letter he starts this letter out by addressing them all together and calling them sanctified which literally means saints it's the same word God's holy people is who he's writing to Again, remember he had just read this report with all the problems, sin, fighting, and he starts out his letter by saying, dear holy people of God. And then he reminds them that they're not just part of a local church, but together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus. To this messed up, dysfunctional community, he starts out a letter by saying, you are God's holy people, and you're part of this grand community of believers that goes around the globe. He says, y'all belong to God and belong to a larger community filled with God's people. I mentioned last week that we shouldn't underestimate the importance of our identity being rooted in belonging to the family of God, that everything that we say and do flows out of our sense of identity and belonging to the church that Jesus has gathered together. The Apostle Paul then says he thanks God for them. This church that he's, he's writing multiple letters to to try and help them figure out their problems, he says, I thank God for you. They have received grace from God through Jesus. And then he says, You've been enriched in every way in speech and knowledge. Therefore, y'all aren't lacking any spiritual gifts. Now, I'm not from the South, but I'll use the word y'all a lot. Um, because in other languages, if you've ever taken Spanish or French or you know some other language, there's a, a a plural you and a singular you. So if I was saying, you know, you, John, that'd be different than you, the congregation, right? That'd be different ways of saying it. But in English, you is you. And so I throw a y'all in there to let you know that, that in the original language, it's plural. He's saying you aren't lacking any spiritual gifts. Y'all, all y'all, together as a community, aren't lacking any spiritual gifts. So, if you think I've just gone, you know, south for a minute, that's where the y'all comes from. And I use it often, honestly. Uh, I probably should have explained this to you sooner. Um, and then he says, You, or He, God, will keep you firm in your fellowship to the end. God will do that. God will keep you faithful till the end. God will keep you in fellowship, in covenant, till the end. God will do that because, as he says in this letter, God is faithful. How can the Apostle Paul tell this church that is wrapped up in a mess of sin, conflict, disobedience, that they are part of God's family and they have all the spiritual gifts they need to be faithful community of believers? That they can be without blemish? When Jesus returns? How can he say that? Is he just denying reality? Is he ignoring sin? Is he pretending things are better than they are? They are far, this church is far from what it should be. This church in Corinth is a mess. But if you were paying attention during Advent, the few weeks that we built up to Christmas... Um, When I preached, I was talking a lot about Israel's hope for a king. Um, The story of the church in Corinth might sound familiar if you paid attention to that story. Right? So I'm going to put this, uh, just kind of a framework on the screen, and you can just leave this up. Josie, just leave this up for a while. This will be the backdrop for the next several minutes. So this is the story of the Old Testament, right? God has gathered a group of people together in his name for his purpose he gathered people together for his purpose but then these people they failed to live up to their calling they messed up they made a mess of things they wandered from God they made a mess There was rebellion, disobedience, sin, idolatry, immorality, greed. They were tempted again and again to follow people who led them away from God, to follow people that led them into worship of idols or to abandon their faith and their commitment to God, to ignore God's mission or God's purposes for them. They just messed up. This is the story of Old Testament, right? God called his people, he gathered people together and said, you will be my people and then they just kind of made a mess of that. But hope remained there was still hope. Not because these people would eventually figure it out and get themselves cleaned up. That wasn't what Old Testament was teaching us. It wasn't, "Oh, well, one day, give us enough time, we will figure this out on our own. No, the hope still existed because God was the hero of their story. That hope was fulfilled by God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, Right? So, God called the people for a purpose. They messed up that purpose and that calling and their identity. Hope remains because it's God that's the hero and not us or the, them, and their hope is fulfilled in Jesus coming, living, dying, and being raised from the dead. God was faithful, not because the people were living sinless lives, God was faithful because God is the hero of the story. God is faithful. It is who God is. And it's God who sanctifies his people. It's God who makes his people holy. It's God who fills their community with the gifts of the Spirit. God saves. God heals. God redeems. Right? This is the story of the Old Testament and kind of bleeds into the Gospels, right? When Jesus arrives. But it's also the story of the church in Corinth. I don't know if you've started connecting these dots here, but there's this group of people, the church in Corinth, that gathered together in his name for his purpose, right? There's this church in Corinth gathered together by God, but these people, they messed up. They just couldn't get it figured out. They lived in rebellion and disobedience and sin and idolatry and immorality and greed and Confusion. They were tempted again and again to follow people who led them farther away from the ways of God and God's purposes for them. But guess what? There was still hope for this church in Corinth because, not that these people would eventually figure it out or clean themselves up, but there was still hope because God was the hero of the story. And that hope was fulfilled by God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The hope that Corinth had as a church was that God would show up in Jesus and save, redeem, heal, and make them holy. Because it is God who is faithful. It is who God is. And God sanctifies his people. He makes them holy. He sends his spirit into their community and fills them up with the gifts of the spirit. But the sermon today is not to tell you what God did in the Old Testament. It's not even to tell you what God did in the New Testament in this church in Corinth. I'm here today to proclaim that this is what God does today. Actually, if you want to go back and leave that up there if you can. We're not done with that yet. I'm here to proclaim that this is what God does today because this story is the story of God's ongoing salvation. And redemption because you see there's some people uh, in Battle Creek Michigan that God has gathered together he's gathered them together in his name for his purpose he's given him his name his identity and his his mission but despite being good people who try really hard they don't always do the right things or get everything right There's always present a temptation to wander from his ways, to let sin or distraction sneak into their lives, to follow worldly things, to be shaped by the world more than shaped by Jesus. There were voices besides God's that are tempting to follow from time to time and it could lead these people away from God and God's purposes for them. So despite their best efforts and their love for God trying to do the right thing things could get messy complicated distorted but there's still hope right do you see the story hope remains whereas jimmy denton so wisely told a few of us the other day it's going to be okay it'll be okay not because we are suddenly going to start doing everything perfectly because that's not going to happen It will be okay not because we're going to suddenly know everything that we need to do and be perfect at it. It's going to be okay. There's still hope because God is still the hero of the story. And the hope is fulfilled by God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Because God is faithful. It is who God is. And God sanctifies his people. God makes his people holy and he fills our community with the gifts of the Spirit. God has provided us everything we need to be faithful, to be a faithful community of Jesus' followers. It is God through Jesus that saves us. God is faithful to us not because we do the right things, but rather God's faithfulness allows us to live together as the church. And so the invitation for us this week is simply this. Know and trust that God is faithful and gracious to us. You might be a senior saint of the church who's been a Jesus follower for decades. You might be here exploring faith in Christ for the very first time. You might be anywhere in between on that spectrum. But the truth is exactly the same for all of us. We have hope because God is the hero of our story. We have hope because God is the hero of our story. I mentioned at the beginning this, this friend, this man named Terry who showed up with all the resources, with the plan, with the tools, with the people and the know-how and made an impossible situation happen. And Terry would love to know that he's being used in an analogy in the, the God character role. He would really get a kick out of that. Um, but that's the analogy, God shows up with the resources. God shows up with the people. God is the hero of the story. God is faithful. He sanctifies and makes people holy. We can't do that ourselves. It is God who saves us. We cannot save ourselves. It is God who redeems us. We cannot redeem ourselves. It is God who makes peace, who overcomes sin, who overcomes death and destruction. And God is at work in us and in you. And so the invitation for today, it's not to go out and do a bunch of things, but just trust that God is faithful and gracious to us. And as we trust more and become more aware of God's faithful presence in our church, we can authentically worship God as a grateful and humble community. We've said for a while now that worship is response to what God is doing. God is the primary actor. Worship is our response and so when we say that God is the hero, then we can worship him authentically, acknowledging the way that God is saving, healing, redeeming. God is the hero because through it all, God is faithful. And that is the source of our hope and our life. Uh, if you were here last week, you know I concluded our message together um, with a prayer of confession and I I want to do that through this whole series because if we come before God acknowledging that he's the hero of our story we have to come from a position of humility. We have to come from a position acknowledging what the reality is about our own abilities and our own limitations and so I think one of the things that the church forgets to do sometimes is to acknowledge where in that second step, we mess up. And so I'm gonna invite us this week and for the next few to, to collectively pray a prayer of confession. And again, as I said last week, my role, my privilege as, as pastor is kind of a priestly role in all of this. So I'll pray the prayer of confession with you, but as pastor, I will pronounce absolution, forgiveness. I will declare God's mercy for those who seek healing, forgiveness. Right, so if we can put that on the, the screen so we can all read together. <clears throat> Let's pray this prayer uh, together. Ready? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us. That we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name. Amen. And God is merciful to all who confess their sins and in humility ask for mercy. And so it is in the name of Jesus Christ that I can share with you that your sins are forgiven